0: Good morning, so good to see you. My name is Jacob Armstrong, I'm one of the pastors here. We are glad that you are here to uh, worship with us today at Providence United Methodist Church. Uh, So many people in our community are at a place where they're saying, my life right now feels like more than I can handle. I know know that's no one in this room, so we're just kind of talking about other people uh, this morning, that you might come to a place uh, in your life where you think, my life right now feels like more than I can handle. And what I've found as a person and as a pastor is that it's usually not one thing that gets you to that point where you're like, I'm ready to throw in the towel. It's what my wife, Rachel, I'll ask her like, what's going on? And she'll say, it's all the things. It's just all the things right now, and sometimes all the things just sort of pile up in a way that you could say, my life feels like more than I can handle. There's this thing, uh, a term people are using now called adulting, which is just what a lot of you guys are doing, just being adults, and it's really hard and really hard to handle, and I was trying to think through how I came and thought about the first time in my life where uh, life was more than I can handle, and for me, this may sound strange, but it started for me when I was 20 years old, I was standing in a landfill. I happened to be on my first trip to the northern part of Mexico, Rachel and I both, and we were working at the home of a guy named Luis. Now, Luis grew fruits and vegetables in his yard, and he put them in a, a basket on his bicycle and took them to the market every day. And we were building him a new home. His home was really just scraps of wood that had been nailed together. And we were building him a block home, which I realized this week was smaller than my bedroom. But it was going to be a new home for them. While we were working there, he had a two-year-old daughter named Cecilia. Cecilia. And one afternoon, I was sitting down in the shade, playing with Cecilia, talking with Cecilia, and that little thing climbed up in my lap and acted like she was about to take a nap. Now, I've held a bunch of little girls now, but this was the first time just a little person had crawled into my lap, and I looked at her face, and I looked at her eyes, and I was reminded of this song uh, that I heard as as a kid growing up in my house with a couple of recovering hippies, and it goes like this. It goes, Cecilia, you're breaking my heart. You're shaking my confidence daily. And as I sang that song, she began to go to sleep. That afternoon, Rachel and I got in a van and we went to a landfill in Reynosa, Mexico. And I stood there and I felt like the ground was shaking. As my eyes began to focus, I noticed that there were hundreds and then thousands of people living in the dump. I realized that Cecilia's family were the privileged folks of this community. And for me, it was just the beginning of an unraveling. When I came home that summer, uh, it was the first time I've told you about, it. I had my first panic attack or the first name uh, time I knew to call it that. I went to the emergency room. It was also the same summer picture this, that I took every penny that I had ever saved and bought a ring for that girl that went to Mexico with me at Zales at Hickory Hollow Mall, <laughs> which is where a Mount Juliet boy bought an engagement ring. And she said, yes. And not too long after that, we bought our first house, and I had a mortgage, and I fell asleep that night, and I remember thinking, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. Not the marriage, the mortgage. (laughs) Just a few months after that, the first teenager, as a youth pastor that I was counseling and working with, committed suicide. And I remember falling asleep that night, thinking, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. But my life didn't stop, it just kept going. Some months after that, I had my first kid. I remember falling asleep that night thinking, something has gone right. Something has gone right. Now, all that stuff may sound really disconnected, but that's my life. And I can remember some uh, time after losing that young man, I can remember driving my car. I was still in school, driving to school, and I was thinking, God, I can't handle this. Handle what? Life, this life, my life. And I know, just because I've been doing this for a, a little bit of time, that I'm not the only one that feels this way. With permission, though anonymously, I'm going to share with you a few phrases that I received by text this week. This has been the most emotional time. I don't understand why I'm not good enough. I am extremely depressed. I am grieving deeply the loss of a friend. I am lost. These are real lines. I am at my breaking point. I cannot hear God's voice in these honest expressions, is what? It's more than I can handle. And maybe you made it further than me. Maybe you made it to 40, right, before your dad died or before you heard the word cancer, before they eliminated your position. I don't know how far along the line you were, but I'm just telling you, most people encounter it someday. And some of us are encountering it right now. And we put that feeling, this is more than I can handle, up against something maybe you've heard, maybe even heard from me. And it's a line that, that's, that's pretty common where you hear somebody say, God won't give you more than you can handle. And sometimes when we hear that, we think, God must have a different measure of how much is too much. <laughs> I need to have a sit down with God because I think he's wrong. I can't handle this right now. Well, I have some good news for you today. I'm not even going to wait till the end. I hope today feels like a sit-down with God. Because the Bible doesn't say God won't give you more than you can handle. There is a verse that sounds a lot like that. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it says God won't tempt you beyond what you can bear. So you can see how those are close, and they're closely related. And that verse is pretty cool because right after it, God, it says that God's going to give you a way out. Okay, But what the Bible really shows us over and over are people like us, God's people... If you look at the people in the Bible are continually coming up against moments in their life that feel like more than they can handle over and over and over again. What the Bible says instead of God won't give you more than you can handle is slightly different in words, but way different in its practice. And it's this, God won't give you more than God can handle. See the difference? I want to tell you this morning about a little boy who was born to a poor Middle Eastern family. There was no way they could raise him. It's complicated and hard for some of us to understand, but the mom and dad knew as soon as they learned of their pregnancy that they would not be able to raise their child. Do you know that there are couples and individuals in our community who are feeling that right now? It was one of those moments for them. It was more than they could handle. In the moments after their boy was born that they would have to give away, in the moments after he was born, he was just their little boy, right? He looked like grandpa. He cooed. His mom sang him a Simon and Garfunkel tune to help him go to sleep. And then she gave her son away. This abandoned baby was found in a river. And there are many reports of how he was miraculously found still alive in the blanket his mom had wrapped him in. He was given the name in his native language, which means to be pulled from the water. He was adopted into the home of a rich Egyptian family. He grew up more like a prince In a privileged home, he grew strong and smart. This boy whose parents couldn't afford to raise him had riches more than most of us could ever imagine. But as an adult, this little Middle Eastern boy who grew into a man committed a crime, and it wasn't petty theft, it was murder. He saw someone being beaten and in his anger and in the injustice of that moment he killed, and then he fled for his life, and he ran miles and miles out into the desert until at the place of utter wilderness where he thought no one could ever find him, he was found by God. Moses! In the middle of the desert. He looked and there was a bush that was burning, but it wouldn't burn up. And the bush was saying, Moses! Which means means to be pulled from the water. Moses thought this was crazy, but he said, I'm here. And the voice of God spoke to him out of that bush and said, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people in Egypt. And I'm sending you pull them out it was more than Moses could handle he thought me a fugitive on the run a murderer an orphan abandoned child I can't do it Moses as some of us know eventually leads hundreds of thousands of people escape slaves out of a nation it's one of our most famous stories and it's a story about how people were facing something that was more than they could handle they weren't one day out of Egypt when the king of Egypt sent his army to pursue the slave nation. The escaped slave nation led by Moses were running from the army when they found themselves trapped, nowhere to go, because in front of them was the impassable Red Sea. On the other side of them was the sound of the thundering chariots of the most powerful army in the known world. Exodus 14:10 says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? Did you know that even as you're about to meet your match, you can still be sarcastic? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt. They go on, didn't we say to you in Egypt, did you know you can complain and blame even right before you die? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now this seems more dramatic perhaps than what we face, but I don't know that the emotions here are much different than I'm so depressed, I'm at my breaking point, I can't hear from you right now, God. If you know this story, you know that the Red Sea's about to open up and God makes a way where before there was no way. You know that this was a moment that was way more than the people could handle, but it was not more than God could handle. But if you can this morning, before we march across the Red Sea with the people of God, let us pause for a moment and consider how they were feeling in that moment before it happened. It's not one thing, guys. It's a bunch of stuff. It's all the things. Years of slavery, no bread, an enemy coming after them, a leader they don't yet trust, and oh yeah, this big sea that they can't cross, all the things. In the face of more than I can handle, we see the Israelites and ourselves experiencing these reactions. We're afraid, angry, cynical, and forgetful. There's a progression here if you see it. At first, there's just fear, fear for our lives. But the fear comes out as what? As anger. Did you know that most of the time behind anger is fear? Like when you're talking to somebody and they're angry, if you're able to slow it down a little bit, most of the time behind anger is fear. Did you know most of the time when you're angry and you're acting out on it, most of the time behind your anger is actually you're just afraid? And sometimes when that anger comes out, it actually expresses itself in cynicism. What? You brought us out here in the desert to die? I mean, like, they're just coming up with these, like, cut downs to Moses. They're being sarcastic. They're being cynical. Do you see any any cynicism in our world today? I wonder if behind the cynicism is actually this sort of latent anger. And really behind the anger is fear. And then for the people of God at least, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but for the people of God, and as we would say today, for people who follow Jesus, that cynicism can quickly lead us to a place of forgetfulness. If for too long you're making jokes in anger towards the person you're blaming, what? Did you bring us out here to die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? If you do that for long enough, you're... Uh, our voice will show how forgetful we are of what God has actually promised us. Listen, this is what Moses says. When you're in that place of forgetfulness, you need what? You need a reminder, right? Here's Moses' reminder. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's what Moses said when they could hear the thundering chariots of Pharaoh's army about to take him out. To the fear, God gives a promise. Moses is so acute as a leader at this point, he loses it after a while, he gets tired and angry himself, but in this moment, he's still so closely connected to the vision that He's hearing angry, cynical, forgetful people, and he speaks to their fear. He goes to where it's coming from first. He says, do not be afraid, which is one of, if not the best promise that God gives. It is most, I think it is the most reoccurring promise that God gives in the scriptures. You don't have to be afraid. And so if you're here this morning in a place in your life, you're like, this is more than I can handle. First, hear this promise, you do not have to be afraid. It's even better than that. It's God speaking to you, do not be afraid, which has the power uh, to take it away. To the anger, God gives a posture. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, when he's uh, speaking uh, to, the, uh, to the Israelites with his reminder, he says, do not be afraid. And then he says, stand firm. So Moses is talking to the angry people And to me, this is me reading into this a little bit, so just take it for what it's worth. To me, it's as if uh, Moses is saying, why don't you move your anger from your mouth to your feet? Why don't you take that energy that's rolling around everywhere and bouncing off the kitchen wall, and you're moving all around the place, and you're making a big show of everything. Why don't you just stop? The literal translation of stand firm is actually just stand still. Move it from your mouth into your feet take that energy. People of God are going to get mad sometimes. Some of you mad right now, right? That's okay. I get it. But don't just run your mouth. Sometimes you have to move it to your feet and let it just kind of stand still for a moment. Why? Because Moses says, if you would move the anger from here to here, you'll see what God is going to do. So to the cynicism, God gives a new perspective this ability to to see. Moses is doing this incredible thing. It's relatively new with the people of God. He's inviting them in to begin to see what God can see. In that moment, all that the people can see is what they can see. It's what we see in our lives. Chariots are coming, the sea is impassable, and all these people around me are complaining a bunch. And Moses, who's connected with God, says, oh, there's something else you could see. There's a spiritual realm in the midst of the physical. What you're seeing is for real, but there is a reality that is within this and above this that's actually more powerful. And so to our cynics, if we're cynical over and over and over, we'll just see stuff that's not even true. We'll see stuff that's not even real. It's just stuff we're making up out of anger and blame. And then, to that forgetfulness that comes next, next God gives protection. I want to pause here for a moment and just say, I have four points this morning. They all start with the same letter. So I am a preacher today. I have become a preacher. So I I don't want to, I don't want to call too much attention to it, but it is what it is. People aren't here yet. They're not back from fall break. Like what happened? Like, yeah, Pastor Jacob preached. Yeah, he, he actually retired. It was his last, his last sermon. Isn't it so cool that what God gives to the forgetful people of God is not a reprimand? He doesn't even give them a Bible lesson. He doesn't begin to lay out to them. They're too far past that. He loves them so much. What God gives to his forgetful people, they've forgotten every promise. He's just released them from slavery. God protects them. He puts a hedge around them. He says, these are my folks. I don't care if they're blaming me right now. I don't care. That's not my thing. These folks are my thing. I love them. And so they're in this place of this is more than I can handle, just like the folks who texted me this week, just like you were and I were. And God says, I have got you. Then I'm about to share with you something nobody talks about in the crossing the Red Sea story. It's so cool. Exodus 14 19 then the angel of God what who have you heard about this the angel of God who'd been traveling in front of God's army did you know that that they were walking through the wilderness and they were following God's angel we always skip this there's this cool moment where God says raise your staff Moses raised the staff and then preachers go right to and they walked across the Red Sea but In between God saying, raise your staff, Moses, and the Red Sea being split, it says the angel of God who'd been traveling in front of them withdrew and went behind them. The angel of God stood in between the army and God's people and just said, these are guys are mine. That's why Moses could say, just stand still. Just see what God's gonna do. The Lord will fight for you. It's rich, it's filled with the promises of God. God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, okay, but more than that, God won't give you more than God can handle. Wherever you're at right now, God can handle it. In your most fearful moments, when you're so mad that all you can do is blame, when your heart has become cynical because this hurts and your expectations have not been met, when you've totally forgotten what God can do, he has your back. He's standing at your rear guard. He stands in between you at the enemy, in the enemy. At age 20, when stuff started falling apart for me because I couldn't take care of Cecilia and my anxiety attacks, I was hopeless to them as long as I tried to handle them. The young man I loved who committed suicide created a chasm of grief in me that I could not fill. I had a choice and it was to throw in the stinking towel or throw my feet into the ground and see what God could do with my life. His promise, his posture, his perspective, his protection were my only hope and they're your only hope. I'm not going to tell you how to figure out your life or I'm just going to tell you God Is not going to leave you. And God's going to protect you. Somebody needs to know that this morning. God's going to protect you in the midst of this right now. Then, then Moses stretched out his hand. When? When the angel went and took their back. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, Moses stood there all night. The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The little baby boy who was named to be pulled out of the water pulled the people of God out of the sea. And just for fun, verse 25, he, this is God, jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. (laughs) And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Would you let God speak to your fear this morning? That's where he wants to go first, okay? Let's just to speak to your fear. And then, because we don't have to act out of anger anymore or join the cynicism party, we don't have to blame anymore, then we can walk out of the sea, okay? Believing that God can handle what we can't handle. Do you believe that this morning? It's not a bedtime story. I'm not here to tickle your ears. Right? It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, this morning we admit that we have been fearful, we have been angry, we've been cynical, and we have forgotten. And so we confess to you that we've sinned. We've not been an obedient church. We've broken your law. We've rebelled against your love. We've not heard the cry of the needy, so we pray that you would forgive us in Jesus' name.